Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Let's begin today. I want to talk about uh, someone that is not mentioned a whole lot about in the Bible, but you might, you might know the name because of the situation. And I want to begin today on a desert road a long, long time ago beside a remote well. The angel of the Lord approaches a pregnant, abused, runaway slave girl. This young woman had reached her breaking point. Who is this, who is this woman? Who is she? Well, uh, she wasn't important. She wasn't wealthy. She wasn't even a woman of faith. Her only claim to fame was that she ended up in the middle of a big, ugly, complicated mess. And this young woman was abused and mistreated so severely that she ran away, literally, for her life. For her life had been irreversibly altered, and her future looked very bleak. She was a young woman that had no earthly hope. She was homeless, hungry, broke, all alone and pregnant in this vast wilderness, desert. She was a nobody with nothing to offer. And worst of all, the people who should have been helping her, the people who knew God, were the very ones that were hurting her. And this young girl would have never believed that God who she didn't really know, she'd heard about him, that God would ever take notice of her. But God knew who she was, and he knew her by name. Her name is Hagar. And I want to start today with the story of Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to start in verse 1. If you didn't bring one, you're going to be able to see it right on the screen behind me. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. How many know that that was the worst agreement he ever made? He was in a no-win situation from that point on, and it's just going to get worse. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. And when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. And then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar... Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. 
And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. And yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Not really like a crazy positive word, maybe. I don't know. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. And then she also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Ber Lahai Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. What a story. It's crazy. You know, people think that the Bible is, like, hard to understand. Man, you, you read some of these stories in the Bible, and you're like, man, my family seems somewhat normal compared to some of these things that we read about. This story today is more than just a story of a slave girl and her son. It's a story of God's intervention in the lives of all of those that have lost hope. I've entitled this today, The God Who Sees Me, because there are people here today that you feel like, in your current circumstance, that you don't feel God, you don't sense him, you don't perceive him working in your situation, you, you, you felt a little bit abandoned. And today, if you remember anything about this, this uh, talk today, it's this, that there's a God who sees you. He knows your story. He knows every detail of your story. I was telling my wife that two weeks ago, um, there, there was a whole week that I, I could not feel the presence of God at all. I didn't feel him. I didn't sense him. And it, it was a weird feeling. It, it, it felt really just awful. And the only time I felt him in that whole week was in about a two-minute period where I was in an elevator with someone and I was ministering to them and I felt the presence of God and then I felt it go just like that when the elevator doors opened. You ever walk through seasons like that? All looking at me, all religious. No, I feel them all the time. What's wrong with you? I'm going to pray for you, Pastor, that you get saved. There's a God that sees us in the, in the messiness of life. Whether you are a victim of abuse or you're a pregnant teenager with nowhere to turn, or you've been disowned by family or friends, or you've been rejected and betrayed by people. Maybe you had failures in life and in relationships, or you've just given up hope. No matter what the situation is, there's a promise. And that promise in Romans 8 says, yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than, everyone say more than, more than conquerors and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. That means it's not just love, not just the name love, not just a, uh, not just the, but it's demonstrated. God has proven himself over and over and over again to us. 
While we were yet sinners, while we were at our worst, God, Christ died for us. That he pursues us even at times when we don't want to be pursued. He pursues you because he sees you. He knows you. He hears your heart. He knows things about you that not another living soul on planet earth knows because you've chosen to hide those things. God knows them. And he goes after you. Ours is a God who sees. Abram and Sarai had given Hagar no choice but to become a surrogate mother to their child. See, back then it was a common practice in that culture. But it wasn't God's plan. Hagar had little control over what happened. We know that she's most likely... She was most likely a gift from the king of Egypt, where 10 years earlier, you might remember the story, Abram and Sarai were, were going into Egypt, and, and hey, uh, uh, Abram looked at his wife Sarai. She was 65 years old. She was the hottest 65-year-old on the planet. And he looked at her, and he said, I mean, you are so stinking gorgeous. If the king of Egypt lays eyes on you, he's going to kill me to get to you. That's what I would say about my wife. I would just say, got to be careful. She's not 65, but when you are 65, you're still going to be hot, woman. So I might not even be—I might not even know who you are by the time you hit 65. <laughs> the way it's going, I'm. Anyway, I divert. We're going to get back on track here. Um, he says to her, he says, "We're going to go and in, go into Egypt, and they're all going to want you." So. I don't really want to die, so why don't we just tell them that you're my sister? Like, that's going to solve the problem. And they go into Egypt, and, and there's all these things going wrong. And, and it finally comes out that he had lied to the king, and the king probably gave him Hagar. I know he gave him some other things just to get the heck out of town so that they could find some relief. So that's where Hagar came from. And uh, she was, you know, raised in, in a pagan environment. She was Egyptian, and... She didn't know this God, and she had no reason to know him. We have no record of her ever praying or until that day at the well. That changed everything for her. We know that she was probably abandoned or orphaned at a young age because she became a slave girl. But the thing that I just love about this story, and it's the same story with you and I, is that God preordained for her life to be in this household of faith probably from before she was born. He took this unknown, probably orphaned Egyptian girl in a pagan environment and said, I'm going to put you in the only household of faith in the world and you're going to, you're going to serve there. And, and Abram and Sarai's household of faith was probably one of the only ones in the world at that time. God was going to choose this family, and it was imperfect to change the world. And she was a part, Hagar was a part of it. And that day at the well, Hagar enters a relationship with God that reshapes her identity and her perspective of her current circumstances. When you come into a relationship with God and you begin to serve him and you surrender your rights and you surrender your life to him and say, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to go after you. I want you to be on the throne of my heart. I'm going to step down. You know what happens? Your identity is reshaped because now you know who you are in Christ 
and it changes your view of your circumstances. You start to see things differently when you see them through the eyes of Christ. That was so good, Pastor Mike. Thank you. Amen to that. Yes, good. This girl no longer was a slave. She, she, after, the, after that encounter at the well, she became an heir of God's promise. That's, that's the miracle of this. Did she go back and do slave duties? She did, but there was something different in her. See, today we have this promise. In Romans 8, it says, and since we are true, his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself, and since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. You know, any relationship, um, if you get married and, and, and you think that 100% of the time it's just going to be this incredible emotional high, you find out real quick that's not the truth. Ooh. We're going to have to start a marriage class. Where's Vinny and Marianne when you need them? We're going to pray for you, brother. Just go back for prayer. Just, just get up, go back for prayer. Say, I need Jesus or I'm going to die. Um, so this is the thing. Um, I foresee you messed me up. I don't even know what I, what was I talking about. What was I preaching on? What was the name? Oh, the God who sees me. Okay. This is the thing that's so cool about it, is that in any relationship, there's good times, but what I, what I loved about it, we don't, only, we don't go after Christ just for his blessings. We don't go after him just for prosperity. We don't go after him for just a good thing. We are joined with him even when times go, are tough. We, we go through things because of him, and those are called his sufferings. So if you're in a true relationship with someone, you are more than happy to walk with them through the good times and the bad times. So that was my introduction today. <clears throat> Some of you are like, oh, gosh, I need to get out of here. We'll be done by 4.10 at the latest. I just have a few quick thoughts I want to share with you. Number one, number one, these are some lessons that we can learn from this, this whole thing. Number one, the entire situation was a result of unbelief. Abram and Sarai, let, let me just say this. It's one thing to believe in God when... This, the thing that you need breakthrough in, the thing that you're praying for, is possible or even probable. It's one thing to believe in God. But it's another thing to believe in God when it looks impossible. Right? Which one is the more pure faith? It's the one that believes in the impossible, right? And so we all have faced this. And you got to remember that it was 10 years earlier when Abram was 75 years old that God speaks to him several times about his offspring are going to be so great that it'll, it's like trying to count the, the, the grain of sand on a seashore. It's impossible. There's going to be a great nation come out of you. Just check this out in, in, in Genesis 15 because you'll see now that his lack of faith 10 years later is in direct opposition to what God told him to do. He says, you have given me no descendants of my own, 
So one of my servants will become my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. 75 years old. Now, 10 years later, he's 85. And, and, and instead of the circumstances getting better and more probable, it's going in the opposite direction. The likelihood of conception is getting less and less every day that passes. And one of the greatest tests of our faith comes when, when God says to trust me, and we do that for a season, but then circumstances get worse instead of better. You ever been there? The temptation is to become desperate. And let me just say this. If you do anything in desperation, if you buy a car because you're desperate for a car, if you buy a house, if you move somewhere, if you get into a relationship because you're desperate, guess what? It almost always turns out bad. Right? And once desperation takes hold in your life, you will always try to intervene, to help God out. Uh, you're not bringing me that, that wife fast enough, so I'm going to help you out a little bit, Lord. God, which club is the best club to find a woman? We try to intervene, and we always make a mess of it. It's, it never turns out good. The second thing that I want to uh, mention, the second lesson, is that it's always a mistake to use human means to accomplish divine results. Always. God doesn't need our help. The, the, the first issue is that this was not God's idea. It was theirs. They're not hearing from the Lord. They're not even asking for his guidance. They're simply trying to correct a problem that seems to be needing correcting. Second problem is what they did to Hagar was unconscionable. That was so callous to take advantage of her because she was a slave and say, you're going to be the surrogate mother to my child. How, how rude is that? Now, it was a common practice during that time in that culture. But that doesn't mean, because everyone's doing it, that, it, that it's right. Listen, as a believer in Christ, the standard is not, is it socially acceptable? The standard has to be, is it acceptable to God? Be careful when your plan is to use people to fulfill your own desires, because that's usually a good indication that you're going to make a big mistake. So once she conceives, you start to see something in Hagar's life come out. Maybe a resentment, maybe, maybe an anger towards Sarai for even setting this whole thing up. And as she's pregnant, she now begins to just needle Sarai. I shared in the first service how, you know, guys are different than girls in a lot of ways. Like if we don't like someone, we'll just tell them, like, I don't like you. You're a jerk. All right. High five. Let's go to lunch. We're good. Over. Done with. But you women, it's like so complex and multi-layered. There's been so many times when my wife and I will get in the car and she'll say, did you see the way she looked at that person? What are you talking about? The way she looked. 
how does she look? You know, you guys, you guys have these antennas, man, and you pick up vibes and radio waves and, and just the way she looked. You know, she only blinked with one eye, so that means, she, you know, and, and we're just, well, what are you talking about? So I don't know if, if Hagar was giving Sarai the stink eye, you know, all the time. Like, hmm. I don't know what was going on. Maybe she was saying little one-liners under her breath, you know, just, just giving it to her. And Sarai, she's an older woman now. She's 75 years old. She's getting all frustrated with this young slave girl. But this slave girl was not doing religious things or pious things. She, she, couldn't, she could care less about that. She was just being who she was. She's just, she's just trying to deal with a bad situation, and she finds herself on the run. And suddenly God shows up where she's at. She wasn't running after him. She wasn't seeking him, but he found her. And that leads me to my last point, which is that there's just something about Jesus and wells and women. <laughs> he does the best work sitting at a well talking to women that are struggling. We, we, I just think it's amazing that... Um, She's sitting there, and there's nobody around. It's just quiet. And she hears her name, Hagar. And she looks around, and there's this brightness above her, like the uh, brighter than the noonday sun. She can, barely bear, she can barely look at it. And she hears it again, Hagar. And then, and then the voice says, Hagar, Sarah's maid. So the voice knew her name, knew who she was, and what she did for a living, and who she even worked for. And we, we read that it's an angel of the Lord. So let me just stop and just do a quick pause there. Uh, the angel of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, there are times that you read about angels of the Lord uh, showing up and, and communicating things. And we know that there are archangels like Gabriel and Michael. They all have different roles. But there are times in the Old Testament where um, the angel of the Lord means messenger, by the way. And so there are times where we see um, glimpses of what we would call a pre-incarnate Jesus. That means before Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem, we see him at times in the Old Testament. So for instance, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. What did they say? They looked in and said, we see a fourth man who looks like the Son of God. So we call these things theophanies, which is a theophany is a, 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 is when, is a sighting of Jesus where Jesus shows up before he was ever physically born. And most theologians and scholars believe that this angel who was talking to Hagar was Jesus. And I, I would lean, I would definitely fall into that camp. Hagar called him the God who sees me and then went on to say, and I have seen God. How awesome is it that Jesus would come to this woman at the well just like he did to another woman that was a Samaritan woman who did not know God, that had a bunch of husbands and met her in John chapter 4 at a well and asked her some questions, got her to open up and changed her life so much that she went back and got the whole town together and came out to meet the man who told her everything there was ever to know about her life. Very similar stories. But I think the question that Jesus asked is key, and it's the questions that he still asks us today, and they're fair questions. Number one, he says, where have you come from, and where are you going? 
Where have you come from today? Where have you come from? Hagar could have sat down there at that well and told Jesus exactly where she came from. She probably lost her parents at a young age. She was sold into slavery. She was a servant in this house. There was probably a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of things that took place. What's your story? Where have you come from? And that's important to acknowledge, isn't it? The things that I've dealt with, the things that I've wrestled with, that's important to acknowledge it. But the greater question is, but where are you going? Where are you going? Are you just going to keep running like a gazelle and you get eaten up by a lion? That's sick. <laughs> when we were like kids, we remember the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom and that guy that Marlon... Perkins or something. It was really like lame. Yeah, we should just show a video of that and watch all of our young people run out into the street yelling. Um, it was so lame, but, but you'd see this gazelle, you know, separated from the pack, and he doesn't know where he's going. He's just running, and you see this lion, and pretty soon the lion overtakes the gazelle and eats it, and, and it's like, it's just really awesome. It's really awesome. It was traumatic as a 10-year-old, but it was just, it was just awesome. Anyway, I'm going to stop. Um, where are you going? Are is your life lived in an intentional way or is your life lived by the fact that you're just running and you don't know where you're going? It's a fair question. And, and she's honest with him. She says, I'm running away from Sarai. She's killing me, man. And his response to me, when you read it at first, seems so harsh and so cruel. He just says, you need to go back to her and submit to her authority. Wouldn't you say, what? You know what I just came out of? He says, no, go back and submit to her authority. So is he, is he telling her to go back uh, and submit to abuse? I don't think so. What I think is going on here is that it's very unlikely that a young, pregnant, runaway slave girl would survive the journey, number one, back to Egypt. But what would she do when she got there? You know, that would be, that'd be another issue. And then you have the elements. It gets very cold at night. It gets very hot during the day. She has no money. You've got animals that, that wild animals that could kill. And you've got travelers that it was very dangerous to travel alone back then. I think that what God is showing here is that he was profoundly interested in her and valued her and the child she was carrying. And he wanted her to be safe. And he was going to fulfill his plan in her life. You know what he was telling her to do? And he's telling us to do the same thing. You need to go back and work through it. You need to just go back and work through it. I don't want to go back. You need to go back and work through it. And it says a lot about this young girl who didn't even know God, who didn't have any relationship with him, that she was so Caught up and transformed by that encounter, she obeyed him and went right back to Sarai. That's amazing to me. But the, the, it was hard, I'm sure, but the difference is by going back, she now had a promise that was hidden in her heart that would sustain her. She, she returns to Sarai surrounded with God in, in this sense of divine oversight, and she resigns herself to her work. Abram did not encourage her. Sarai would not acknowledge her. But the Lord's eye was upon her, and God's favor was preparing her for great things. 
her heart was encouraged within her because of the favor that God had put on her life. And it was in that spirit that she was obedient to the will of God. Listen, it doesn't matter how messed up and tangled up your life is. God knows exactly the next step that you need to take. And in the midst of Hagar's pain and despair, God intervened on her behalf. And that changed her her whole life. And she got this revelation that God was the God who sees me. What a revelation to have. As I close and our band's going to come, for, come up and sing a little bit, I just want to close with two scriptures today. But they're, they're just wonderful scriptures that just talk to us about the promise that God is with us today. Second Chronicles 16 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God, God, God is watching your life. He knows every detail of your life. He knows every struggle that you're facing. And he's pursuing you. And he'll meet you where you are at. Sometimes at the most unexpected times. And then in Psalm 121, it says, I look up to the mountains and hills longing for God's help, but then I realize that our true help and protection come only from the Lord, our Creator, who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never let me stumble or fall. God is my keeper. He will never forget or ignore me. He will never slumber nor sleep. He is the guardian God for his people, Israel. Jehovah himself will watch over you. He's always at your side to shelter you safely in his presence. He's protecting you from all danger, both day and night. He will keep you from every form of evil or calamity as he continually watches over you. You will be guarded by God himself. You will be safe when you leave your home and safely you'll return. He will protect you now and he'll protect you forevermore. Could we stand? I just want to ask a question today. And there were several in our first service that that responded to this that I just knew that I had to ask it again. You know, having a Savior is not just something you say, oh, I think I need a Savior today. It's not like an emotional thing that you just... We need a Savior because of the sinful nature that we all wrestle with and struggle with. It's been there since Adam. And without, without our sins being covered, God cannot look upon us. And God, the Bible says that when we were sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us as a sacrifice for our, for, for our sins. And, and so when God the Father looks at us, he sees, he sees us clean, not in our own attempts or not in our own things, but because of the blood of Jesus. So we come into a standing with God where we're acceptable because of Jesus. That's the one side of it. The other side of it is, on this side of heaven, to live with Jesus is a game changer. We're, we're going to go through things. We're going to go through struggles. We're going to go through problems. But listen, I've tried to go through them without God. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I would much rather go through things with him than without him. And so 
by opening your heart and saying yes to Jesus, saying, Lord, you know, what you're saying is basically I've been on the throne of my heart, my life, trying to run things, trying to do things, and I keep coming up short. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life, and 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 I'm going to step down from my throne, which takes humility, and I'm going to invite you to be on the throne of my heart, and I want you to transform me. I want you to change me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, and and I'm I'm, going to submit to your lordship. And it changes the trajectory of your life. To walk in the favor of God is unlike anything you could ever imagine. Are there still problems and struggles? Absolutely. It's going to happen. But man, you're not alone. And so I'd like to just close with a prayer. And I'd like everyone to just pray it with me. And uh, especially those of you that are here today and your heart is burning and you're like, man, I need God in my life. I need him in my life. I've been trying to do this on my own and it's just not working and I'm miserable and I want to be right with God. I, I, want, I want God's favor on my life. I want a relationship with him. So pray this with me, everybody, if you, if you would. Dear Lord, thank you for having me come here today. And I just ask you right now, Lord, to come into my life and to transform me to forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me for being the Lord of my life, myself. And I ask you, God, to become the Lord of my life, that I will surrender everything to you and I will submit everything to you. Help me to become more like you. Jesus, I need your help. I just ask that you'd help me. I want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.